I enjoyed Thursday night, and I was speaking about Abraham, um, and um, in the Old Testament, we're in uh, Genesis. We were in Genesis 20, 25, and it was amazing just uh, just the story of of how Abraham got to where he was. And so I want to continue on with the story, and, and I want to preface it. What we're going to be talking about this morning is, is how Abraham was concerned about his son and getting his son a wife. But before, before I get into that, I want to preface it with so we can all get on the same page. And so, as you know, a lot of us have been reading the one-year Bible. We just started reading the one-year Bible, and so... We all start in Genesis, obviously, and so the funny thing is the 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 communication I, that I've had with different people is a lot of us are right in the same spot. Well, I was inspired when I got to Genesis twenty four and twenty five. I was inspired by by uh, the story of Abraham and um, and Isaac and Esau and Jacob, and a lot of us were in the same exact spot. And so, before I go there, I want to back up a little bit and um, just preface about Abraham. <clears throat> so, we all know that in uh, Genesis 1, that God creates a man and woman, and uh, he blesses them. And he blesses them by saying in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it, rule it, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the earth. So God wanted to fill the earth with people of a reflection of him. And he wanted, the, the, he wanted this to be a blessing for the people to be on this earth. And so... But unfortunately, Satan enters the scene, and man is deceived, and so man starts rebelling against God. And so we see in chapters 3 through 12 how man continues to just mess up all the way through, just uh, where man continues to rebel against God. And then finally... God scatters the people all over the earth because they were kind of getting together and worshiping idols, and he said, that's it. I'm going to scatter everybody across the earth. And then a thousand, la a thousand years later, this man named Terah, which was Abraham's father, comes into the scene, and he lives in a place called Ur, and so I kind of just want to show you a little demonstration about where Ur is. So if you think about the Persian Gulf being right up here, and, and right now Kuwait kind of sits here by the Persian Gulf, and then you have the Euphrates River and the Tigris River, and right here sits Ur, Ur of Chaldeans is what it is. And so this is where his family kind of hung out. And so he took his family... Terah, Abraham and everybody, and he decided that by God's calling to go to the land of Canaan. But he only made it like 300 miles north of that, 
which was Haran, right here. And so this is where his family is at right here. And then across here, straight across here, you have Egypt down below. You have the Mediterranean Sea. And then uh, you have the Red Sea right here that pastor was talking about this morning. So Canaan is kind of right here by the Mediterranean Sea. So the idea was to come up this way right here and then come across and come down. To cut straight across was 500 miles of just desert. There's no water whatsoever in it. So there's, it's not practical to, to make this trek all the way from Ur straight across to Jerusalem or this land of Canaan. And so what they did was they followed the Euphrates River up, and then they dropped, came across, and then they dropped down to the Jordan River. So that route was 900 miles. So Terah starts here, and he ends up here in Haran with his family. And so here is Jake, here is uh, Abraham, and he's 75 years old. He's married now to Sarah, and he is... And now God calls him to go to this land. And so that's what he, do, that's what he does. He takes Sarah, he takes uh, Lot, and a few others, and then he starts making this trek. And then he, he ends up over in the land of Canaan. So Abraham now is living in the land of Canaan. So we're getting close. In Genesis 12, we see that, and this is it right here, Genesis 12, 1, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And that ended up being the land of Canaan. And then he makes a promise here to him. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. It will bless those who bless you. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so God's plan to rescue and bless his rebellious world is through Adam's family. Adam's family. So this is, this is the beginning. Abraham is the beginning of Israel. And so then we move on. So now Abraham is 75 years old, and he's been promised these descendants. And God, has, God took him and showed him the stars in the sky, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this many descendants. He made a promise to him. And so now Abraham is getting along in years, and he, here he is now 75 years old, married to Sarah. Does he have any kids yet? No. He doesn't have any kids yet. 75 years old. I mean, you're thinking probably at 75 years old, you're thinking, not sure really this is going to happen or not. God said it was going to happen, but look at the facts. You know, we're old and wrinkly. I don't know. I shouldn't say that. Some of us are, some of us aren't. Then going along in chapter 15, we see the promise, but 15, now God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he said, here it is, he says, he took him outside, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If in you indeed you can count them, 
Then he said, so shall your offspring. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteous. That's, it. That's in uh, Genesis 15, 6. So now he made a promise. He made a covenant. This covenant was that uh, on the day that the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your de descendants, I give this land. How is he's supposed to how is his descendants supposed to have the land if he doesn't have any children yet so we go along for a while and uh and then again abraham is is concerned about it and asking so abraham and sarah what do they do they take or abraham yeah abraham and sarah take things into their own hand and they have hagar the maidservant sleep with abraham because now they're going to get a son so there can be descendants and that's totally typical of what we try and do is what we try and and uh make things happen ourselves without allowing god to work through us waiting and then here we go if you look in 24 genesis 24 we'll start our text So Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. We know that Abraham had riches. He was obviously going to bless him with many descendants, and he, he blessed him in, in all kinds of different ways. Well, in this text here, it said he blessed him in many ways. But Abraham, I, I, I need to back up a little bit because in uh, chapter 17 uh when abraham in genesis 17 abraham was 99 years old and sarah was 90 and then again god said he told him he said sarah will have a son and then that's when abraham laughed at him because at 99 years old he's like are you really i'm 99 years old how can this possibly be but obviously god made it happen so he he was able to have Sarah get pregnant, and he said that you will have a son. He will be Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with Isaac. So that's kind of when things started kicking off right there. And then Sarah passed away, and so now it's up to two people for this lineage to continue on. It's up to Abraham, and it's up to Isaac. And so now we start here in, in Genesis 24. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years. He was actually 140 years old at this time. Abraham had Isaac when he was 100. And so now Abraham or Isaac is 40 years old now. And he was blessed in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. And I'm in Genesis 24, 3. And this servant was most likely Eleazar. And we see him in, in uh, Genesis 15, 2. And Eleazar was super close to Abraham. Eleazar was more, more than likely one of the servants that was with Abraham when he offered Isaac up as a sacrifice or was going to before the Lord stopped him. He was very close to him. He, he knew exactly 
how Abraham operated by watching him and being with him all the time. So he was very close. And he was uh, more than likely um, very blessed by Abraham as well with everything in his life. And so he says, this is Abraham saying, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I living, whom he's living. So here he is living at the time in Canaan, and he's saying, I need you to get, I need you to get a wife for my son Isaac, but it cannot be from the land of Canaan. And it needed to be from his hometown land, which remember was back in Ur, in, where his family is, where the genealogy is and the lineage started. And this idea of putting your hand under a thigh, it was a customary way of making a solemn and serious oath. If we we're going to do that today, if we we're going to make some sort of oath like that, it would be like in a court of law. In the old days, it would be, yeah, you, you raise your hand and you put your right hand and you put your left hand on the Bible, which they seem to have taken the Bible out of the courts these days, but... Regardless, this is how serious the oath is. You raise your hand, you put your hand on the Bible, and you make an oath. And you're bound to that oath no matter what. And so this is what kind of oath this is. That you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I, I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. So in essence... He needs to continue the genealogy. He needs to pass the torch on because it's supposed to go into no, nobody else other than his descendants, this blessing, this covenant that's made, the covenant that God will save his people and he'll be with, him, be with them forever. And the idea of the covenant was that he was going to bless the people and then we are to see him as our God and be faithful to him. And so that was the covenant. And God promised to bless him. Then Eleazar, the servant, said, Ask him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I take your son back to the country you came from? Seems pretty legit. Uh, I'm supposed to go somewhere to get a wife for this guy? And then what if she's like, Really? Uh, I don't think I would go. I don't even know what he looks like. I don't know anything about him. And so I could totally see what Eleazar is thinking. If I go there, and how far is it? It's 900 miles. 900 miles on a camel. Do you know how fast a camel can travel in one day? If he's loaded down with over 200 pounds, he can go maybe about 30 to 50 miles. If he's on the lighter side, he can go up to 100 miles a day. Which I was impressed. I was seeing like 15 miles or 20 miles or whatever, and that was it. So he's going to travel 900 miles on a camel, and he's going to go find a wife for his master's son. And I would ask the same question: Well, what if what if, what if she doesn't want to come? Should I go get Isaac and bring him back? And he says, absolutely not. And the cool thing is, is that Abraham trusted God. And for them to actually go back, 
go get Isaac and bring him back, that's really not trusting God because God told him to go do this. So he was going to trust God by saying, no, absolutely not. He's going to stay here. The other thing is, is if Isaac went back to his homeland, he might be tempted to stay with his clan, right? I mean, because these guys are out there by themselves in, in Canaan. If he travels back to his homeland, then he would be tempted to stay with his people. And God moved Abraham's family to the land, to Canaan, and that was the important thing, and he was going to stay there. Make sure you do not take, this is verse 6, make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. So Abraham now is relying on the fact that God's going to send an angel and he's going to trust in that. He's, that's, it is what it is. If the woman is willing to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. So, honestly, for Abraham, it was better that his son didn't even get married than it was for Eleazar to bring Isaac back to his hometown. That's how serious he was about it. Verse 10, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naram and made his way to the town of Nahor. Nahar is, is right next to Haran, kind of similar. So he came from Canaan, Canaan, and then he moved all the way over back up to Haran. That was north of Ur. But ten camels loaded down with, with gifts. So this is, a kind of a, this is a pretty good presence that he's traveling with. He's got ten camels, his master's camels, loaded down with, with riches, for this wife, and so this is, uh, they're traveling together. It's a large caravan of riches, and if I know, if I'm thinking about what Eleazar is thinking, he's like, man, I got, I got 900 miles to go. I'm going to go hard and fast. I'm going to get there. I'm going to take care of this, and then I'm going to come back, but can you imagine the, the thought process, process of Eleazar? He, he was faithful to Abraham because he's his servant, but man, for him to, this is a huge feat for him to go all this distance, 900 miles, to find a wife for this master's son. So the, the things that he would be thinking would, I mean, it doesn't say it in here, but I wish it would have. I wish it would say what was going through Eleazar's mind at the time. Verse 11. He had, so no, we're going to go verse 10 again. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and left taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naram and made his way to the town of Nahor. So he arrives. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time the women go out to draw water. So it's a good spot, and I don't know, he must have been directed there by the angel of the Lord, but 
This is the place where in the evening, the women came out and drew water from the well and brought it back to their family. So this is the spot that he's, he's going to go. And then as soon as he gets there, so he settles his camels down. And then right after that, he starts to pray. And this is the prayer. He prayed, Lord, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So he's, he's kind of asking him to direct direct him to the right girl um and so he's the idea is he's going to ask her for a drink and then she's going to respond can i water your camels too and that's the sign that okay if if if, if he asks a girl this and she responds that way then this is this is her but the crazy thing about this prayer is before he'd finished praying Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. I have a little thing written up here. It says, God knows what you need before you ask him. It's a promise in Matthew 6, 8. Jesus said that. It's like, here we go. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. So he understands that uh, now he's he's in the right spot. The servant hurried to meet her and said, "Please give me a little water from your jar." So now here he is. He's gonna he's gonna test it here. He's gonna ask. And really, this is he he prayed this prayer so that he could be directed by the Lord to the to the right person the servant hurried to meet her please give me a little water from your jar drink my lord she said and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink after she had given him a drink she said i'll draw water for your camels too until they have finished drinking so ding okay it's looking good so far. So God has God has uh, has blessed. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. So a camel in one drink can drink twenty-five to forty gallons of water in one drink, and they can do it in about fifteen minutes. So there's ten camels. So Rebecca now, she's got a little bit of a task ahead of her. So she, and, and it says here, that she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all the camels. And so, without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. So in my mind, if the Lord answered my prayer before I was finished praying and all of a sudden here she comes and then I would be first amazed and shocked like 
wow, this is happening right before me. He asked the question. She responded back, may I, may I water your camels too? And so now he's watching her labor to water the camels, right? So she's having to water 10 camels with 40 gallons. And I don't, 25 to 40 gallons. And I'm guessing that's taken quite a while. So not only is he getting an idea of who Rebecca is, he's getting an idea of her character, who she is. Is this really the right one for his master's son, Isaac? And so that's kind of what he's doing here. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me there is room in your father's house for us to spend the night. So again, back to the, uh, the he brings out some jewelry, and this is a sign of generosity or a sign of wealth. So she understands that who he is. He's just not some regular guy down there. This is something that uh, he's offering her, and he, he communicates with her, and, and he gives her this nose ring and bracelets. And then he asked, whose daughter are you? She answered, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, born of Nahor, which is Abraham's brother. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder, fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then, and I love this part because, you know when God does something in your life so amazing that you're just in awe? And you just drop to your knees and say, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord. It's back to that thought process of God fiercely loves you and he wants to take care of you. He just wants you to rely on him. And so Eleazar, he's in this position right here. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord saying, praise, do, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Thankfulness, praise to the Lord, he was successful here. The girl ran and told her, mother's, told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man in the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and bracelets in his sister's arms his, had, and had heard Rebecca tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you are blessed by the Lord, he said. And really, Laban here, he's like noticing all this wealth that this guy has, and he's going, wow, okay, come on in. No problem. I can see you're a wealthy man. And he's like, why are you standing out here? I've prepared the house and the camels and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to, to wash their feet. Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. And I love this here because it's a sign that Eleazar is focused on the mission. He's focused on doing God's work before he takes care of his own pleasures. And uh, I think about my life, and I'm thinking, I need, to do, <laughs> I need to do a better job here. Because most of the time, I'm thinking about myself. And um, when I read this, I, I, I really appreciate 
God's word here because it is it does inspire you to think about realistically what is your mission are you using your spiritual gifts are you set on doing that before you take care of the things of yourself and it's definitely something to ponder on and pray about so I love that he's focused on God's mission first or the mission at hand I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban says. I'm in verse 34 now. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver, gold, men servants, maid servants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in, in her old age and has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan, get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, What if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my father's family. Then when you go to my clan, you will be released from my oath, even if they refuse to give it to you. You will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring that today, I said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success. Again, here it points that really he is relying on the Lord because he came 900 miles with a question of if this is even going to work. Verse 43, see, I am standing beside the spring. If a maiden comes to draw water and I, and I say to her, please let me drink water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said drink and I'll water your camels too so I drank and she watered the camels also I asked her whose daughter are you she said the daughter of Bethuel son of Nahor from Milcah bore to him then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets in her arm and I bowed down and worshiped the Lord I praised the Lord the God of my master Abraham who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn. So Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. So this is pretty crazy, too, that they were, the angel must have stopped in at their house as well, too, because they are, they're on the same page. So they heard the story of, of what happened, and, they're, and already they know that this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard that, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver, jewelry and articles of clothing, and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way, my master. But her brother and her mother replied, Let the girl remain with us for ten days, then you may go. 
So here, it's like they started having maybe a second thought about this. So here comes this guy, gonna take our sister and daughter away to be married by a guy named Isaac, 900 miles away. So they're probably maybe kind of starting to second guess some things here. Um, 56 says, but he said to them, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so that I may go. And then they kind of scramble a little bit. Then they say, then they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Berleah, Roy, for he was living in the Negev, and he went out to the field one evening to meditate. As he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife and loved her, and Isaac comforted, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. A lot of reading, I know, and uh, but when I look at this story, I and I thought about it, prayed about it. Uh, what came to me was the wow factor. And so there's a couple things that I want to point out that as I read this story and study it, some things to me say, wow. And so I want to, I want to bring those out. So when God makes a promise, he keeps it. God is in control. And I think about that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. God is in control. God promised that Abraham would have a son. And but he waited a hundred years old till he was a hundred years old to get it. And I think about I think about that. God is is in control of, of everything. He's created everything, he's in control of everything. And if we can kind of take some of that and think about our prayer life, the things that we're praying for right now are the things that we have prayed for and if, if God hasn't answered you yet, possibly, um, be encouraged that God is in control and that he knows what you need before you even know it, like we saw in the text. And um, we need to wait on the Lord. I like uh, turn to Psalm 27, 14. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. 
I love the fact that we're encouraged to wait because it's something that we struggle with doing. We, that's a lot. we have a hard time waiting for God's plan to work, work itself out. And so we seem to be a people that wants to uh, take things in control of ourselves. And, and that's the whole problem with man being rebellious from the very beginning is that they wanted to do things on their own timing. And so we're encouraged this morning that we know that God's in control. And when God makes a promise, he'll answer it. And he will, be, he will for sure answer that promise that he's made. And we're encouraged again in Psalm 27, 14. Also, the thing that was a wow factor for me was that God answered Eleazar's prayer before he was done praying. Um, has anybody ever been fishing for steelhead, kind of like me, and uh, prayed for on this cast? Dear Lord, this cast right here, give me a fish. And, um, or prayed for, if you're a hunter, prayed for that buck to walk out in front of you, the great big horns. And we find ourselves praying for things like that. And so for God to answer Eleazar's prayer was a pretty amazing thing. And, and, and God does answer prayers immediately. And, and he answered prayer, answers prayers in his timing. Eliezer's prayers were answered immediately, but Abraham had to wait, what, 70, 80 years for his prayer to be answered? If it was me, I probably would have given up praying. 70 to 80 years to wait for a sign. And I probably would have a hard time wondering if what God was saying was really true or not. But God kept interacting with Abraham, and, and, and he kept believing, and he found himself righteous. God found him righteous, waiting that long. I read a thing a while ago talking about God's timing of prayer when we pray to him and his timing when he answers us. And one of the things I was amazed about was, was when we pray and ask God for something specific, if it's not according to God's will and God's plan for our life, then he's probably just going to say no. Um, why would God give you an answer to your prayer, something that takes your eyes off of God in the end? So if you're, if you're asking for something specific and you're praying for it and you're praying over and over and over again, but if he, if he answers that prayer and he gives it to you, it causes you to take your eyes off of God. And now this is your idol. I'm thinking that your prayer, your prayer is probably not going to get answered or it's going to be a no to that answer. So think about that. Think about your prayers. When you pray, do you, will it be according to, to God's will for your life? I like First Peter 6, 7. First Peter First Peter Well, I got a couple of spots here. First Peter five, sorry, six through seven. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, cast all your anxiety 
on him because he cares for you. I like the fact that um, we're told to be to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, and that when he's ready to lift us up in his timing, he will. He knows what we need. But the main thing is to rely on him, to cast our anxiety on him, to lean on him. Kind of like how Eleazar was in this story. Totally, 100% relying on God and God's angel. It wasn't anything that Eleazar did except he carried out what he was asked to do. And totally reliant on that. And then the, the last thing that I have that was a wow factor for me was that Il Abraham and Eleazar trusted God. They put their faith in action. And God directed the paths of Eleazar, Rebecca, and Isaac. If you think about this journey, and even Eleazar was directed to, to the well. Rebecca was directed to go to the well at that same time. And, and when they came back, if you look in the last part of um, the story, you see that Isaac, he went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. I'm sure that God inspired him to go out into that field and meditate as well. I like Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, which is a very popular verse. But powerful. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I think about this verse and I totally just, it just wraps this whole story up really and inspires us to, to take what's in this story and, and, and uh, use it to read it, to believe it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. If that's, I mean, if you're going to give anybody advice, it would be something like that, right? We all are struggling on this earth in different ways. And this whole story part just points to trusting in God and relying on him. And part of doing that is, is putting our faith into action. Instead of just saying it, actually doing it. I, I love this church family, how when the message is done and the last song is sung, people come together and they interact. And they're sharing stories with each other. They're, seeing, they're praying for each other. We're, we're seeing what, what everybody's doing for the week. I mean, we, we interact together as a, as a family, inspiring each other to, to seek the Lord. And there's something to that. <laughs> and this whole, this whole book, the fact that God so fiercely loves us that he's provided a savior for us, and then now he's set this up to, to the bride as our church. And, and we're to continue to live our lives in him and through our church family. And so I think that it's super important for us to get into the habit of relying on him. I always, in the past, I'm getting better at it, 
But in the past, I find myself going to God last after I can't figure out my issue. Going, going to him after I can't figure it out. And I'm finally, when I'm, I'm 56 now, and I'm just starting to figure out, like, hey, dummy. Uh, this whole thing here says come to him first. And all I have to do is read it, believe it, understand it. Come hang out with other people that do the same thing. Listen to an amazing pastor who inspires us every week. And get on my knees and pray to the Lord that created me. And, and then where's your mission field? Go. Go out. Use your spiritual gifts. Christie's song. I mean, I, I was like crying. I, do I have to come up here crying? <laughs> her, the, the, her song and what she was singing about was just so moving. And it was felt throughout all of you people because you could have heard a pin drop and the lord just blesses his people and with with these gifts so that we can continue to encourage each other and so this is the encouragement this morning trust in god rely on him put your faith in action and we continue to to meet together until we end up in heaven this promise that was made long long ago and God's still looking out after us, and he wants us to be with him in the end. And so that's the message this morning.